Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Kind of a weird title I put to this message this morning. Did you notice that at all? Fireworks. Well, I just want us all to know that we're a work of fire. And that our God is a consuming fire. Is he not? And a firework is a display of energy. It's a display of brilliance. There's power in a firework. It can wow people when they look up and see a firework in the sky. But if you work with them and it explodes, it could also take your life. So there's kind of two sides to it. Can you see that? Every believer in the eyes of God is precious. You're precious. You're valuable. And your worth is not measured in a $2 billion lottery. No, it's only measured by what he was willing to pay for you. And that was blood. The blood of his son measures your worth and your value. Can you, how can you just sit there and just say, oh. <laughs> Did you hear that statement? You are so precious, priceless, and valuable that he saw you as the pearl of great price and paid your ransom with his blood. Wow. Hallelujah. It's also important to know that every believer plays a significant role in carrying out God's plan in the earth. Know what that means? Every believer is needed. There's not one unneeded person in the body of Christ. Not one. The head who is Christ can say to the foot, I have no need of you. You are needed. Every individual is needed. If you're viewing, viewing by live streaming, you are needed. Whatever your gift is, your talent is, your ability is, whatever you can do, it doesn't matter what it is. God wants to anoint it and use it to advance his kingdom here in the earth. We're all needed in the body of Christ. And then next, we're all a habitation for God. You realize that? You're his temple. We've been talking about that. You're the temple, the dwelling place of the living God. He himself said, who can build a house that houses me who created all the universe? Man can't build that. But Jesus said, give me three days and I'll provide a nice place for you, Father. In you. Hallelujah. You are a habitation for God to house his presence, his power, his glory, to represent him as an ambassador in the world. You talk about importance. You are important to the kingdom of God. Do you recognize that? Do you see that? Amen. 
And we all should make note of that. And then, what kind of house should we be? A house that's on fire, ablaze with the Spirit, serving God with ardent zeal and enthusiasm. A firework. Hallelujah. Going somewhere to explode in brilliance. In manifesting the glorious power and presence of God, letting people know that your God reigns in your heart and they can see the light of his countenance and presence in you. They see him in your good works and they glorify your father in heaven. Hallelujah. That's who you are. Our God is a consuming fire. And I'll tell you what, he's wanting to explode. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7 with me, if you wouldn't mind. Beginning at verse 1, this is when the temple was dedicated and Solomon prayed his dedicatory prayer. When Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down. Now we're talking about a temple. We're talking about a temple that replaces the tabernacle in the wilderness. That gave us a revelation of the redemptive work of Christ. But David was denied the right to build this temple because of what he had done. Solomon took on the project, and he now completes the project, and we have this temple called Solomon's Temple. And he prays a dedicatory prayer, a long prayer in chapter 6, and when he concluded his prayer, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. And the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not stand or enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord was upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. How, did you notice that they didn't have to be encouraged to praise the Lord? Uh-uh. No, our worship leader didn't have to say, come on now, lift up your voice and clap your hands. Oh, when the fire came down, that was enough. When the fire came down, they bowed. When the glory appeared, they bowed. They worshiped. And they stood in awe of a holy God who answers how? By fire. Fire came down. Uh, there are four different types of fire I'm going to talk about this morning that I believe really are, are in line with what we've been talking about recently, about judging ourselves, about cleansing the temple. I believe that Jesus is, is being prepared to come. And he's coming for a house without spot, without wrinkle. He wants us to be prepared. You know, many argue over, or I should say maybe debate a little bit more, or, or just kind of get into some kind of dialogue about, is Jesus coming pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Look at all those minds out there just wondering. Let me say this, he's coming. And what are the two most important words about his coming? Be ready. Be ready. Because when he comes, he comes in the twinkling of an eye. When he comes, there's not enough time to even think or blink. 
When it comes, boom, you're gone just like that. You're out of here. And if you're not ready and you're left behind, oh my, you don't want any part of that. Absolutely. So we're talking about four types of fire that will help us be prepared and be ready for his coming. Okay. So number one is the fire of faithfulness or faithful obedience before the Lord. Look at the book of Leviticus chapter 9, and there's not time to get through all the verses that pertain to this. But it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take thee a young calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And of the children of Israel, thou shalt speak, saying, take ye a kid of the goats for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish. Notice he's begin, beginning to give them instructions as to how to offer certain things, like a sin offering, a whole burn offering, a trespass offering, a peace offering, a meal offering. Those are the five offerings and sacrifices, etc., etc. But notice going down to verse 8, you'll notice how explicit this is. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger into the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the blood he poured out at the base of the altar. On the altar he burned the fat, the kidneys, and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, as the Lord commanded Moses, the flesh and the hide he burned up outside the camp. Aren't you glad that we don't have church like that? Oh my goodness, can you imagine coming to church? Wait, I got to get the blood over here. The kidney goes over here and the, the lobe of the liver. Can you imagine that? Think about it. God gave explicit instructions to Aaron and his children as to how sacrifices were to be offered. And they were not to deviate from anything that God said to do. They were to be sticklers for what God said, and they were to do it exactly the way God said to do it, for it to be accepted or acceptable. I had a little bit of an experience with that. We were attending Dante's football game. We went to Mount Pleasant, and it was, if you think Friday was a storm, by the way, I sat in that one too, but anyhow, that's neither here nor there. On that day, we went to the field, and it was raining sideways, and there was sleet, and it was just horrific to be at a ball game. You might say, well, why are you there? My son played in the game, and my daughter was supposed to cheer. And we were just so thrilled to be there. <laughs> and so as we get there to the field, as the stands are there, this one section right by the middle of the field, you know, almost like 50-yard line, and just big area. And Krista and I are there, and we're looking. There's not a soul there. I said, a lot of smart people stayed home. <laughs> and there were just a few people on the, on, to the left. Well, so we just... Figure we might as well just sit right here. You know, which, when it's like that, what you want to do is get a little spot. Try it if you can. Put some plastic down. Sit there and then don't move for three hours. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You got all your gear on and all that. You don't want to get soaked. But and it's inevitable. You're going to get soaked, right? So there we are. 
So we sit down and this lady, I, I don't want to say a little bit older lady. She walks over and taps me on the shoulder and says, sir, you can't sit there. I said, there was not one person in this huge section that can house probably 300 people or more. You can't sit there. I said, uh, okay, uh, why? She said, that's reserved for the beaver band. I said, okay. I said, but ma'am, my daughter's a cheerleader. And we got word when we left to come up here, the band and the cheerleaders are not coming. They're not going to be here. Their band didn't even show up. It was, that's how bad the weather was. I knew my daughter wasn't coming and the band wasn't coming. She says, sir, you can't sit here. So we got up and we moved over to the next section over here and we sat down. We got perched ourselves. Now, there's hardly any people there as well, but we perched ourselves there by ourselves, just the two of us. This had to be a, a, an attack of the enemy, I'm telling you right now. Not a soul is in, not a soul. And if anyone started to even thought, well, we might sit, she's. And she, she sat back, stood against the fence and watched. To make sure that nobody sat in that whole section there. I called her the Gestapo. <laughs> she was on duty. And so we perched ourselves where we could get comfortable on the next bench and bleacher. And we sat there by ourselves with all this room. And this fella came right next to me with a big golf umbrella that was tilted in my direction. So all of his water was dripping on my jeans. But you know what? Not one person sat in that section for the whole game because she did her job. As she was instructed, she carried it out, line upon line, precept upon precept. Nobody sat there. It didn't matter what. So when God told them, put the liver here, put the kidney there, dip the blood here, put the blood there, God meant what he said. That is how it is to be done. You know what that stands for? The fire of faithful obedience. You know what that means to us? You see, the fire was outside the camp and the altar. And that's where they burned these things. But that fire that was lit, you know, was a holy flame. A holy fire. And you know, when you got saved, you and I got a holy flame. And a change took place in your life that you never had before. You've got the fire of God in the new birth. And then lo and behold on the day of Pentecost. The fire of God came down. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the power of God entered into your innermost being. And that blaze. That thing that was there was small. Became bright and brilliant. Like a firework went off on the inside of you. 
And there was a zeal and an enthusiasm in you to serve God like you had never experienced before. And you began to carry out all the mandates of God. You begin to walk out. I begin to walk out certain things like he wants us to conduct ourselves in love. He wants us to live by faith. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He wants us to demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. He wants us to walk with him, to give, whether it's tithe and offering. I don't twist people's arms. You know why? I just tell them what? Be obey God. Do what God says. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to know. Obey God. If God says give, then give. And what kind of giving? Give of your tithes. Give of your offerings. Give almsgivings and give to the poor. You know, th th those are four things that he talks about in Scripture as to what we can do as far as giving. I'm talking about faithful obedience will keep that faith, that fire of faithful obedience burning in your soul. And so it's coming to church. It's studying our Bible. It's praying. See, all that, that type of fire, the fire of faithful obedience is burning on the inside of every single one of us. And that's where it started. But then the second one, that leads to the second one. And that's the fire of God's glory. The fire of God's glory. Look in Leviticus chapter 9. Same chapter, but look at toward the end. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them. And came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Notice what faith, the fire of faithful obedience gives place to. Because they did it the way God said to do it. Line upon line, precept upon precept. They followed the explicit instructions that God gave them. Now they're in a position for what? For the fire of God's glory to manifest among the people. When a group of people, like a congregation of people, come together and they explicitly carry out the details of what God says to do, what happens? He manifests his glory, which is really a sign of his approval. And that's exactly what he did there among those people. He approved of the way they offered their sacrifice, the way that they were living. Oh, before I go any further, in just case we get some doubts in our minds, no, you and I cannot perfectly carry out anything and everything that God asks us, us to do. But the sacrifice on the altar's name is Jesus, praise God. And he did everything, not one jot, not one tittle of the law that he leave out. He fulfilled it all for you and for me. And the fire of God's glory manifested, praise God, so that you and I on the day of our Pentecost could have the fire of God fall upon us and just consume us. So this is the fire of God's approval. His, his fire refines it energizes, it encourages, it spreads, it activates, it moves people to activity and service of the Lord. See, this is the work of fire, praise God. But there's a negative side or a downside to it as well. The same fire that can keep you warm in your tent can burn your tent down. How many of you know that? Sure it can. So there's a good side, there's a bad side, there's an upside, there's a downside. You can say it that way. So the fire of God, praise God. Uh, was manifested and the glory appeared and it had an effect upon the people. The fire's effect 
is multitude and many. But look at this in 1 Kings. One of my favorite things that I ever learned when I first got saved, this blessed me beyond anything I could imagine. But the way we said it back then, it blessed my socks off. I found them, but it blessed my socks off. Have you ever been dealing with people, you just go, how do we get through? Oh, don't say it too loudly, because we're all the same way. We're all set in our ways. Can you say amen to that? We're all set in our ways. We know that. Our heads are like cement. Thoroughly mixed, well set. Right? It's going to take the fire of God to penetrate, is my point. Well, here's the example. Elijah stood in front of them, the prophets of Baal, and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. It's that simple. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the, their altar. But without setting fire to it, I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood uh, on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. I love that. You go first. For there are many of you, so choose one of the bulls. And prepare it and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they hadn't made. Did you know that sometimes God's not in a dance? About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. I love this about Elijah. What a guy. You'll have to shout. Louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. You know what? Perhaps he's daydreaming, that's it. Or he's relieving himself. A nice way to say he's using the restroom. Or maybe he is away on a trip, or he is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shout, how about this? They shouted louder. And following their normal custom, how about this? They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Who wants to serve a God like that? Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour, out, pour the water over the offering of the wood. 
After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did it as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. And the, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Oh, Lord. Well, before I even say that, you realize he put that water on the, on the ground. You know why? See, they thought back then they were very superstitious. There would be some stuff coming up out of the ground that would ignite the wood and, and, and all that. And so it would be a scam or something of that nature. So he made sure that every base was covered. The, the sacrifice, the wood, it was all underwater and also the trench around it. So there was nothing coming up from the ground that would cause any kind of a fake fire or whatever. Oh, Lord God of Abraham, he says, Isaac and Jacob. Now, notice that's covenant talk. Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull. The wood, the stones, and the dust, it even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon, Kishon Valley and had breakfast with them. What did he do? He killed them there. You see, sometimes, what, sometimes you wonder, what's it going to take to break through someone to let them know that only he is God? Only he is God. You say, well, how dare you say that when there are many roads that lead? No, there's only one way. His name is Jesus. The truth and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one. And that's it. There is no other way. This isn't religion. This is reality. And God's approval was demonstrated. How? Well, we see this. We see how. We see exactly how. Fire came down. And when fire appears, the fireworks went off. And God now got the attention of all these people. And they bowed before God. Wouldn't it be something, instead of us having to, you know, Preach and preach and preach your hearts out that the fire would just come down when people come to church. Don't need to say anything. Wow. Those days are upon us. Those days of Ananias and Sapphira are upon us. I'm telling you because Christ is coming soon. And this last wave of revival is going to be so impacting. It's going to be worldwide before he appears. And then when he comes, he's coming with great power. Amen. Now, look in the book of Exodus in chapter 40. This is just a few verses here at the end of the book of Exodus. Just to show us, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple and when the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward into all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not until that day, until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire 
was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So we see that this is the manifested presence of God. The cloud by day, the fire by night. Oftentimes, humans would just say air conditioning and heating was provided for them without any electricity, without any gas. It was just the fire of God. My point is the fire of God is real, real fire and real power. That's why the priests were told to keep that fire burning and don't let it go out. Because you see, that fire came from above. It's not man-made fire. It doesn't come from human resources. It is the fire of God. You know, when someone then loses that fire of God, we try to get that thing built back up. There's only one way to get it built back up is get on our face before God. That's, that's the only way. Get on my face before God. Father, I don't want to lose that holy zeal, that fire that I should maintain for you. Now, the third fire, now we get to the other side of the fire of God, is found in Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1. And so the fire of... Uh, Friend, our fellowship with God, our walking with God, our faithful service to God and obedience to God is one, our, the fire of God's glory, number two. And now we find the fire of rebellion. In Leviticus chapter one, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Now, here we see them offering up some fire that's unauthorized fire. Uh, the most important part of that statement was it was fire that he commanded them not to offer. It's not strange fire. It's not unauthorized fire. But they basically took matters into their own hands and decided that they were just going to offer this fire that they wanted to offer. There aren't many details about it. But the main problem, like I said, is it was fire that he'd commanded them not to offer. So that fire that he calls unauthorized fire or the fire that he calls a strange fire that they offered were not, was not to be offered. And you could say that they were basically taking things into their own hands. And that led to the fourth fire, the fire of judgment. The fire of judgment. Remember we talked about a few weeks back about judgment begins at the house of God. And then we talked about just recently cleansing the temple or the temple, that we should judge ourselves, that we be not judged, that the temple would be cleansed, a place of purity, prayer, power, perfected praise. Absolutely. And then, uh, notice here in Leviticus chapter 10, that should be, I know in your notes it says 9, that was my mistake, but it's chapter 10 and verse 2, ver, look at verse 2. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, Nadab and Abihu, they were Aaron's sons. And you'll notice that we just read in chapter 8 and chapter 9 that they were given explicit instructions as to what to do, how to offer the sacrifice, what to do with the body parts of the sacrificial animal, whether it's a bullock or a lamb, whatever, and what to put here, what to put there, where to put the blood and all that. It was all laid out for them to follow explicitly, and that's how you do it. And when they did it God's way, what did we see? The glory, the fire falls, the glory appears, and God is approving everything that they did. But now here, these same two sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they should have known better, but they didn't. They acted on their own. They stepped out beyond what God had instructed them to do. And look at, uh, look at verse 3. Leviticus 10, verse 3. 
Do we have that there? Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that he, that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come near me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now put yourself in the shoes of Aaron. Your two sons that stood by your side, that offered all these sacrifices before the Lord, and you watched the glory come down, you watched the power of God manifest, and now these two, who should have known better because they were there, they saw it all. They were given the instructions. They actually carried them out, and they saw what took place. And now they acted on their own. And because they acted on their own and just did it the way they wanted to do it, God was not pleased. The fire of God was manifested and your two sons die right there. And Aaron doesn't say anything because he knows exactly what happened. They were not to treat the things of God flippantly or casually. You know, beloved, I think we're living in a, in a very difficult time when it comes to the body of Christ and church. And we know that Jesus is returning soon. We know that. We can become very casual. And you see that infiltrating the church. You know what I mean? There was a time I know, even in our assembly here, if you go back many, many, many years, women didn't even wear makeup. We might find that odd today. But they didn't. They didn't cheerlead. They didn't go to ball games. They didn't watch TV. And the list goes on and on and on and on, just the restrictions. They didn't have pictures of their loved ones in their houses because they didn't want to offend God. Now, I realize that could have been an extreme. I remember when I was at school one day, one of the teachers stood up and said, well, everyone knows that even, an, even what, this is was, this was what women wearing makeup, this was, everyone knows that an old bar needs a coat of paint once in a while. I didn't say that. He said that. I didn't say that. He said that. But you see, it took them a long time to get to that point that they understood that, that they knew that. Do you see that? What is my point? There was a time when there was great reverence and respect for gatherings before the throne of God, where there was honoring him and doing it his way. But it seems like everything comes in to satisfy people of the world. And rather, the church infiltrating the world, it seems like over the years, the world has infiltrated the church. And that's not how it should be. Even when it comes to the issues, some of the issues I'm talking about, and you might point a finger at me if you want to, you can. You can. When it comes to the issue of abortion, we've talked about that recently. When I hear a statistic like 70% that call themselves Christians, we're voting for abortion. If that turns me, I don't know what it does to God. I had one tell me that, you know what's more important? What? Unions. You, I'm telling you the truth. Unions, that's more important than saving lives. I don't get it. I don't understand it. So I can't even begin to imagine how God looks upon the circle of the earth and he's wondering what in the world is going on, you know? And I know that Jesus is coming soon and that's the bottom line. And that's why I've been talking about 
We need to judge ourselves. Judgment begins at the house of God. Judge ourselves to what? I'm not judging anybody. Pick up this book. Read it for yourself. Find out what it says. And if he back then says, you take the liver, you take the uh, kidneys, and you do this, you do that. Put the blood on the post. See, the post he's talking about there at the altar had these posts sticking up. You had to put the blood on the uh, post of the altar. Explicit instruction as to what to do. But you see, it seems like that's kind of been lost. We want to be entertained more than anything else. Rather than coming together, get on our faces before God and say, let the fire fall. Because you see, the fire that falls is a consuming fire that also consumes the chaff and purifies and makes holy the people of God. And there's no other fire that can do that. It's not me. It's not anybody else that's out there preaching. It's a desire that the people have to be changed by the fire of God and to become the people that he wants us to be. And the only way that can happen is on our faces before God. Uh, look in the book of Exodus chapter 24 just to show you that God wasn't being mean with these two guys. God wasn't being mean because his fire manifested and that they were burned up. They, they, they were consumed by the fire. No. He, they knew where the, the blood was to, to be applied and so on. Look at um, Exodus 24 verses 1 and 2. They knew the rituals and the regulations. And he said to Moses, come up unto the Lord thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And then go on down to verses 9 through 11. And then went up Moses and Aaron, and who else? Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet as it were a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. Wow. Put yourself with Nadab and Abihu who's with their father Aaron and uncle Moses. And they saw God. And God gave them instruction. And in Leviticus 9, they carried out explicitly, like the Gestapo lady, what, she, what they were told to do. Don't deviate it. It doesn't matter if they're not coming, but you're not sitting there. I got the point. Okay, I'm not sitting there. I won't sit there. But now we're dealing with God, not with the lady. Nadab and Abihu says, mm -hmm. okay, we'll just kind of step in here. Uh, hey, Abihu, where's the fire at? Well, well let's just create some fire for ourselves. Okay, let's just do our own thing, and we'll, we'll put that on the altar of incense and all that. And, okay, here, Lord. They're consumed by the fire because they took matters into their own hands to do it their way. And what happened to them? They died. And that's not the only time that happened. Notice um, in Numbers chapter 16. How many of you know that God is a holy God to be revered by all people? And even though in this time in which we live, this period of grace that we call grace, and we thank God for grace, and that's why it really it's, it gets to me when I hear this excessive teaching on grace. It really does. It's, it's gone beyond you know, what grace really means and stands for. Look at this. 
Here we have Korah's family. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have done, not done them of mine own mind. If these men die, this is Korah and his family, the common death of a man, the common way that people die, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up with all that appertain to them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appear appertaineth unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertaineth to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled and the cry of them, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord. This is the fire of judgment and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Wow. Can you say that? Can you say it backwards? Wow. How many of you are glad we don't live in the Old Testament times? <laughs> the rest of you, you, you prefer that? What happened here? See, our God is a consuming fire. And man, when you're walking with the first two, glory to God. But when it's rebellion and judgment... That's not the fire we want to associate ourselves with. You notice the lake of fire is called a lake of fire where the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. And I, I hope not, but it sounds like Korah's family, the earth just opened, swallowed them up and just took them right possibly there. I don't know. I'm not the judge. I don't know. But imagine that. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Uh, we, won't, we won't take time to read all this, but if you read through verses 36 through 50, we won't do that. But if you read on the rest of that chapter, now you would think, you would think, if you saw 250 co-conspirators die by fire, consumed by fire, you think you might think twice about doing anything to displease God. Anybody here agree with me? You would? You know what they did? They said to Moses and Aaron, you guys killed all these men of God. <laughs> Wrong thing to say, because God got so infuriated by that, his fire came out, but not manifesting and consuming them. A plague took 14,700 people, and they died by the plague. And if it were not for Aaron offering up an offering and sacrifice, the plague wouldn't have been stayed. But because they did intercede on the behalf of the people, the plague was stayed. Doesn't that go to show us just how human nature really is? My goodness, they saw the fire of God come down. They saw the earth swallow these people up, and yet they just still did what they wanted to do. Well, look at Ephesians chapter 5, because we're going to end on a good note. <laughs> you can say amen to that, yeah. Amen. Be therefore followers of God... And as dear children, 
as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also had loved us and had given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, when it says go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, you know what that means? Mercy's not giving me what I deserve. Mercy's giving me what he deserves. So when you look at me with all my flaws, my faults, my failures, my shortcomings, don't look at me, please. Look at Jesus. Be followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Because you see, he gave himself as a sweet smelling sacrifice to God so that when God looks at him, he has the aroma of the life of Christ, not the stench of the life of Bill. He goes over here and looks at me and says, if I saw you the way I see you as a human being in a fallen state, mm -mm, no mercy. But because of what he did for me, I can carefully follow the Lord my God, knowing that he's got my back. He's got your back. Can you say amen? amen? So no matter what, it doesn't mean you have a license to sin. What it means is he knows you're going to sin, but he's got you covered. Look at the last two verses here. Three verses. Uh, verses 15 to 17. This is from the NIV. Be very careful then how you live. Wow. I mean, those Israelites were just careless. Nadab and Abihu were careless. Can you see that? Careless to think that they could intrude the way they did. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, be, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what's the will of the Lord? That you be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, the next verse says, but be being filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, maintain a Spirit-filled life with the fire of God, with the fire of faithful obedience that gives place to the fire of God's glory so that we can do what? Steer clear from the fire of rebellion and the fire of judgment. Praise God. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. What about you? So let's all stand together before the Lord.